Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I am Ben Myers, market researcher with Steve Cameron, lender extraordinaire. How's it going, sir? Well, Ben, not so great. Not so good. Ben and I got iced for the first we, time. Our guest did not show up. Our guest did not How show up. How many episodes up. have we done? We have done 37 episodes, so I believe. 30, we went 37 for 37. We had cancellations, but never uh, no show. Yeah, lot, lots of cancellations. And we did and have, we had, we had Ben and I no showed on a guest once. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to cancel on someone and he showed up. Uh, yeah. But this is the you. first time we've <laughs> <Yeah>. got iced. <laughs> well, I'll tell you someone that does nice people. Tell and me. that is the Plus Group. Boom. The sponsor of Toronto Under Construction. They're nice people. They just put them on cool. Yeah. Dude. They're very cool. They're a very cool group. Uh, they're comprised of actually five distinct companies. RN Design, SRN Architects, Salesfish Sales Software, Kool-Aid Studios, and Studio Uno ID offering services and marketing, architecture, interior design, and real estate software. Their mission is simple I revolutionize the real estate industry through efficiency, innovation, and quality while adding value to the client experience. For more information on the Plus Group or any of their five companies, please visit thepluscgroup.ca. So, again, if you like this show, please visit our sponsor. Please like us. You know, subscribe so you never miss an episode. So Ben, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. What are we going to talk about? We have. Uh, I've, I've got. I got something. I've got something to start with. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. It's a big one. Okay. It's uh, to the tune of 1.8 million Canadians are going to be affected by this. Okay. Of a one-time payment of five hundred dollars. Five hundred. Yeah, to 1.8 million Canadian renters. Who are struggling with the cost of housing? Wow, I mean that like, will, that's going to solve the problem. That will cover almost one quarter of the average rent payment for <laughs> a Canadian uh, in 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 a month. So, uh, so hold on, so let's just let's just case. So five hundred dollars times one point <laughs> eight million people. So we're going to write a nine hundred million dollar check out of taxpayers' money. For what, like a family's monthly grocery bill? Yeah, it's, it's talk to me about this, Ben. Like, I mean, you're you're a bleeding liberal, and you love Trudeau, I'm sure. <laughs> you, you can't agree with this strategy. Like, they promised us 1.8 million houses at the beginning of their term. We've got nothing, and now all of a sudden, it's a 900 million dollar band aid that we have to pay as as taxpayers. Yeah. You can't be on side with this. Your buddy Justin needs a call from Ben. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's that's an interesting strategy. I, I, I mean, I don't really know why he would do it. I mean, I, I mean, I have a little bit of uh, a soft spot for 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 people who have you know, these affordability concerns, and and five hundred dollars does mean a, a lot to, to to some people. But yeah, I'm not quite sure the strategy kind of came out of the blue. Uh, you know, our ability to deliver supplies we've talked to talked about on this podcast a million times is 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 abhorrent and and. Uh, and that's the biggest the biggest issue driving up rents. I mean, we've uh, 
you know, had this inflation problem that the Bank of Canada wants to, uh, you know, uh, stop and they've raised interest rates several times over the last year. And that's, you know, driving people into into the rental market. So the the latest uh, national rent report from Rentals.ca and Bank Consulting is is just out. And we've now now topped pre-pandemic rent levels. So we're now uh, above pre-pandemic rent levels. Rents are up 25 to 30 percent in several of the major cities in Canada. Um, so just, you know, kind of unbelievable roller coaster happening in in the rental market. So so certainly not easy for anyone that's that's that looking to rent. In, in um, fact, it's a good it's a good point. We uh, and I have some firsthand experience. So we've we've been helping a, a new migrant family move into the city and we were out looking. I was out. So her budget, um, a mother, her her husband and daughter, who she hasn't seen in seven years, are moving to Toronto from the Philippines, and uh, they need a one bedroom apartment for three people, and their budget sixteen hundred dollars a month. You should see what sixteen hundred dollars a month gets you. <laughs> it is. It's not even funny. It's actually devastatingly sad. Yeah. And um, the condition of some of these units in the sort of call like fourteen to seventeen hundred dollars a month that we looked at, like, like bugs, spider webs, mold, dirt, broken windows, broken ripped screens, non-functioning appliances. It's unbelievable the quality that uh, that these. I guess I would say not just new Canadians, but just anyone in that in that uh, income bracket. Has to deal with. So yeah, I'm not sure if I've told you the first. So when I, I moved back to Canada, I took a job, um, you know, working at uh, at Jane and Highway Seven. So I was looking for a rental unit nearby, and and as you know, there was almost no purpose-built rental apartments in Vaughan. It's just like doesn't exist. So I decided, well, I'll go to the next closest cluster of apartments, and that's at uh, Jane and Finch. So I decided to start looking at some of the apartments Yikes. there. And uh, they show me an apartment and like the, the balcony is just completely covered, just like uh, like it had been painted in bird poo, just completely. And there's like soap uh, in the bathroom, scum in the bathroom, and there's food on the, on the appliances and stuff. And I was just like, it's not someone's job here that could maybe wipe wipe some things down, yeah, right? It's crazy. You know, it's pretty. It's pretty sad the the state of some of these older rental apartments and and uh, and their shelf life is unfortunately coming to an end. Some of these some of these buildings. I mean, we. Uh, well, what's happening though, and I've seen it quite a bit, is um, you know one of our guests previously was doing this, but you know the old apartment uh, owners they've got a bunch of adjacent land so they're you know putting that adjacent land to use and building either condo or rental and then using the profits out of that to refurbish or renovate the the older apartments so it's happening um yeah I, my, I never finished my last point about this this 500 dollars because, oh, yeah. because because it it it, it, it comes <laughs> as part of a, a twitter thread and as everybody knows we talk quite a lot about twitter on this podcast and by the way ben i'm at 977 followers i'm i'm gonna hit that he's gonna thousand get there mark he's gonna year. get there okay you know, go on go on click on the one steve C on so uh, here's one on good twitter. comment it says it's available for families who make below thirty five thousand and individuals who make below twenty thousand a year so that's who the 500 dollars is for i am terrified to think of what housing is what housing is available to people in that income range if anything at all is available for people like that in Ontario. Interesting. And then the comment to that was a one-time payment, $500 for housing in Ontario. Everything about this announcement is ridiculous. <laughs> I could read these comments all day. It just is it's yeah. Uh, even in the, even in the rentals.ca analysis that we do, 
I eliminate anything under $500 on my report because it's usually like a bedroom, one bedroom in a basement apartment, right? That's what you get for for 500 bucks, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. a, a bedroom. You don't get the entire basement apartment. You get a bedroom within that yeah. basement apartment. No, it's it's a, it's a sad state that we're in. And uh, and it goes back to, you know, all the things we talked about on this show, zoning. It goes back to you know, NIMBYs fighting these these projects. and uh, and And I'm actually not, particularly bullish on any of the solutions <laughs> that that we've discussed. I mean, we had uh, um, you know Chris spoke on the on the show and and uh, great show by the way. Yeah, had a lot was, of a lot of compliments. So yeah, I was speaking to someone right before this one. Yeah, wow, that guy's smart. Yeah, no, he's super super smart guy. And 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 yeah, I just think when 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 the market turns to wood stick built construction to high rise concrete construction and the amount of risk the amount of uh, additional know-how that's required to build something like that it's inevitably going to add significantly to the cost of housing and and the the price per square foot and the rent per square foot to to live in those is significantly higher than sprawl and we we're we're almost completely out of the sprawl business right i mean there's so little single family greenfield development happening right now. All right. So, um, you know, I, I, it's funny. I had a question for the guest that we did have, uh, uh, scheduled who was a, he was an infill guy. He's a missing middle guy, but he worked for 20 years for a developer that did greenfield lower rise development. And I just wondered if he had, you know, any type of moral questions about working for a company that, uh, you know, builds that type of housing. Right. And, and, I mean, I... I guess we'll never find out what his answer is. <laughs> yeah, so. he might, he might. I'm still hoping he walks through the door anytime and we just <laughs> jump him right so, in. So let's talk, the, about, let's talk about something else that's hot topic, sure. interest rates. They're, they're up. They're way up. We're up to 545 on, uh, I think it's 545 of prime rate in Canada today. Um, you're getting calls. I'm getting calls. What are you, what are you seeing as... Uh, as the side effects of these increased rates. Yeah, I mean, gonna, are they going to raise rates again or do you think there's a cooling off period here? There, there seems to be some talk that this 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 latest hike uh, is is going to be it for a little while, right? That's what uh, some of the, the people more entrenched in it than, than I have. But yeah, I mean, anytime that you increase someone's cost to own a home i mean you're you're essentially buying a payment right you know it's all about it's all about that monthly payment so now people can't afford the same property that they had before and then add on top of that this uncertainty that raising interest rates cause house prices go down people don't want to you know as they say catch a falling knife so they 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 hold off purchasing and then so sellers say well you know we don't want to lose money so let's pull our house off the market. So there's, um, you know, the only houses that end up trading are people who absolutely need to sell because they've bought something or they're moving away. And and so we've yeah. re- replaced, uh, you know, the average buyer with the need to seller, right? So you end up, um, you know, prices being significantly lower. But I'm certainly not worried about Toronto because, you know, some people are, are you know, you're like my family, we'd only buy within a certain kilometer radius. And, and some of these houses only go on sale, you know, it might be on a street. There might be two houses that go on sale per year, right? right. So if you don't right. buy that house now and you're buying and selling in the same, in a, a fairly similar uh, market, then, you know, I think these transactions are going to happen. It's the more commoditized neighborhoods or some of these, you know, far suburban neighborhoods where every third house looks the same and uh, and there's thousands and thousands and people aren't 
moving to those areas because they love Curtis, Ontario. They're moving to that area because that was a cheaper place for them to live and they're commuting somewhere else to work. And so they could they could go to Curtis. They could go to Oshawa. They could go to Whitby. They could go to Wichert Stouffville. They could go to Uxbridge. Or, uh, they're not tied specifically to that that area, that that community. It's not a built-up area. So those are the areas that I, I think are going to be the most impacted by by the changes in interest rates. Well thought out answer. <laughs> you know what I heard? Okay, let's go hear. Back. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go get political again on you. Oh, Jesus. I heard that this announcement of the $500 stimulus for rental immediately, the, the hour after it came out, the economists at Scotiabank were saying, well, this is a sure tell sign that interest rates are going up another 75 basis points. This is Canada's way of softening the blow of another hike. Interesting. So Interesting. I don't know if that's true or, or untrue, but I guess we'll find out in the next 30 to 45 days here. Yeah, my gut, my gut is this is my gut. Okay. They're going to, they're going to increase. They're going to do one more increase. I know that inflation was up by like a margin, mar, small, small margin. I think it was like another like decimal point increase, but even that increase of, of an increased inflation is, is, is driving these rates up one more hike. And then hopefully we have a cooling off uh, period o- over the fall and into the winter. I, I do believe that once there is some stability with the interest rates, we, we cool it off here. I think you see like three months of, of no change. I think everyone's going to get sort of accustomed to what the rates are. Um, when, you know, when I started in the business 10 years ago, I think the prime rate was between three and a half and four. And it, and it, was, it was a healthy sort of 4% call. It, and that's a very, in my opinion, normal prime rate to carry. I think I think what spooked everybody really is the fact that we were at free money for so long, and now we're going back to what you know seemingly is our normal rates. But the sticker shock of it is very you know it's terrifying. And if you if you look at the 80s and 90s, you know when when interest rates were 18 percent, you went from 18 to 20 percent or 18 to 21. You know it's a three percent increase. It's a big increase, but it's not you know it's not like going from one percent to five percent. I mean yeah. and, you know you you go you know you do a five x. It's 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 very um, impactful to whether you're just you know a consumer buying if you're a, a household with a fixed income who has a, a mortgage payment, or if you're a developer and your your interest you know you know we're, we're carrying large contingencies for interest rate hikes to the to the tune of like a ten million dollar swing. Wow. So it, it is it is impactful, and I think when we see some stability in the world, everything hopefully will normalize. But I think personally, I think we're in for a tough. Uh, I don't think I don't think this is coming to a quick end. I don't think this is a blip in the market. I think that these changes that we've been seeing are going to be felt uh, for the next six, 12, 18 months. And and I think that you know people need to be prepared for for some tougher times. Yeah. I, I truly believe that uh, just on like the development front, you know, there's going to be there's there's going to be uh, I don't want to say there's going to be bloodshed, but there's going to be repercussions and there's going to be fallout from from this because. You know the the costs are up, and and if you had a you know I'll sort of speak speak specifically to our to our business. We do a lot of land financing, so you know when you do it when you take a land loan, if you buy a piece of property for ten million dollars and your interest rate, it doesn't matter. Your interest rate is five, six, four, five, six percent. Typically, we build in an interest reserve, right? So yeah. the interest reserve takes care of the interest payments for the term of the loan. So if you have a twelve, eighteen, or twenty-four month loan. You don't have a cash flow requirement on a month-to-month basis to pay for the land loan. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's no income coming off land. It's not like it's got a tenant or it's got renters. Greenfield, greenfield lands, greenfield right? lands or brownfield lands. You just have you know 
on income producing land. So our interest reserve helps carry the burden of the ca- of the monthly cash flow. So if you did a, la- a land loan at ten million dollars at five, per- call it five percent, and all of a sudden your rate's gone from five percent to eight percent or eight and a half percent, what do you where do you what do you think's happening to that interest reserve? It's depleting very quickly. Yeah. Right. So and do you require them to top it up? Well, here's the thing. So if you took one land loan at ten million dollars and you had a two year deal and you had you know enough ample ample reserve for a two year period. And now all of a sudden, with interest going up, you know, six months later, interest rates go up the way they've gone up, and your two-year interest reserve is now only good enough for one year. So at the end of the year, you're going to have a cash call, right? You're going to have to start making monthly cash calls. Yeah. So what happens if you have not prepared for these monthly cash calls? Because <laughs> on a 10 or 20 or $30 million deal at seven or eight percent, you can imagine that your monthly cash call is probably in the to the tune of thirty to forty thousand dollars. Wow. Now think about it. I mean you, yeah. know, you do the simple math and I, I mean we're we're using hypotheticals, but you're you could be more, you could be less. So, you know, maybe you did plan for the rainy day, right? And maybe you did maybe you did, you know, keep a bit of dry powder for cash calls, which most, you know, sophisticated developers do. But what if you bought five pieces of land two years ago? <laughs> and what if you levered them all to seventy five percent and you have five seven and a half million dollar loans, or you have five fifteen million dollar loans, where your interest rate's gone from four percent to eight percent, or five percent to nine percent, and all of a sudden all your interest reserves are 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 drying up, and in six months' time, you're going to have five pieces of land that you can't pay the interest on. All right, are you worried about you're going to be owning some uh, pieces of I'm, dirt I'm soon, no, Steve? No, or? I'm using hypothetical. I'm just yeah. giving you an example of yeah. like why I think we're in for some really tough times and why it hasn't happened yet and why we haven't maybe seen the fallout yet because yeah. the, the impact, listen, we're in, we're in a business with big numbers and, and big pieces. And, you know, it's like the, it's like the Titanic didn't like drive into the, uh, to the iceberg at a hundred miles an hour and exploded. It went very slowly and it hit it. Like the whole process took a long time from start mm. to finish. Let, let me, listen, let me ask you this. How do you, Decide uh, in terms of how many loans you want to take on with a certain certain client, right? Yeah, no. Like, do, you, do you ever say every, just- every, so? In every single write up that we do, in every credit application, we have a number of different sections. So you know, you have like your overview, you have your loan metrics, you have your uh, financing tables, your, or you have your economics. And one of the sections in every either a term sheet or loan sheet or some of your credit application is, is called related exposure. So you look at all the current outstanding loans with that individual uh, client, you know, how much money you've lent them, how far along they are, how much reserve there is, how much term is left, where they're at. So you do quite an extensive analysis. You know, the other thing too, and this is just sort of, I'm not going to, I'm not just in my business, but in, in this business in general is that in, in the Canadian uh, banking world, which is very different than the U.S., but in the Canadian banking world, when you borrow money, uh, you have to provide a guarantee, and and typically you need to provide a personal guarantee, right? And, your and you pers- require personals for for many of these clients. Well, land loans, almost almost always, land loans you're going to get a personal construction loan. Sometimes you can take a corporate, but. What's happening, and now it's happening, so go back to my land example, okay? So you, you took one land loan for $10 million, your interest reserve dries up, and you've got a $20,000 cash call for the second half of the loan, and you, you could probably skate it. But if you have five of these, and you can't afford it, then what's going to happen is 
the banks, and just say you have three or four different banks who did the different deals, you gave a personal guarantee to all of them, are all going to be chasing that same guarantee. So what happens to the individual who has a, you know, has a, has a smaller net worth or a smaller guarantee without the liquidity to repay and refinance? You know, he, may, he may have had the ability to do it for one lender on one site, but if he borrowed from five lenders on five different sites and all lenders go after the same $5 million for five, you know, $5 million does not equate to the $25 million he may owe. Yeah. So that's another reason, you know, that I, I think that we need to be, you know, this, this is, I'm, I'm dumbing it down to its simplest, you know, factor. But I mean, that's really the concern. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I, I'm sort of watching and concerned with. And then, you know, you could multiply that to a much larger scale and you get into bigger loans, you get into construction loans, you get into the, to the, uh, you know, we could talk about, uh, you know, buyers not closing. Like, so what happens when, when all these condos are registering in the next six to 12 months well, and the buyer goes to their bank and they look for a mortgage approval or they look for a mortgage on their condo, the condos drop, the values drop by 20%, interest rates have gone up the way they've gone up and they're not getting qualified to buy their condo because they don't have the cash to pay, buy it or or the income to afford it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like I, that's coming. I mean, I've been, people are I've crazy been, to think that that's not coming. I've been banging this drum, drum for a while. Um, and, and probably needlessly, maybe four or five years ago, but now it's getting to the point. As I always compare, what's the what's the price of a new condominium on a per square foot basis in comparison to an apples to apples resale project? Not the average resale project, not a resale project down the street, but one that's recently completed. What does it look like? So I'm currently, I actually just finished uh, last night for, for a client trying to value a property that they have unsold inventory in. They're trying to reprice it, essentially. And so I'm looking at the price of the units, which I think are egregiously <laughs> overvalued and comparing them to the previous the previous phase, right? So if they got a unit at sixteen hundred bucks a foot, and the previous phase is just now at eleven hundred bucks a foot, that's just a, a, a massive difference in terms of uh, in terms of price per square foot. So the resales are going for eleven hundred, and the new is going for sixteen hundred, right? Even if we get uh, you know price increases over the next couple of years, it's not gonna it's just gonna be a a, a big delta where these. Uh, people that bought those units are going to have to come up with some additional additional money, or they're not going to close. I mean, when I back back when I used to do presentations for the banks, that was a number. That was the first thing that always asked me, Ben. Any closing risk? Any clo- ben, ben, closing risk? Closing risk? Have you heard any closing risk? Anyone not closing? Any closing? It's the biggest. It's, the, it's <laughs> yeah. one of them. I mean, it's, it's the biggest, but it's definitely one of the biggest risks. And and to think that these eleven hundred dollar per foot resale units need to appreciate. I don't know what the, what it would be. I mean, it depends on the time for the construction period, three, four years. At X percent per year, it's probably 30, 40% a year to hit even what their numbers are at. I mean, that's great. That That's one thing. And then to, to have these buyers who bought pre-construction to assume that the $1,600 per foot is going to also appreciate at 20%. You know, that's what they're expecting. They're saying... I remember when I bought a unit for this is the buyer saying I bought a unit for seven hundred and when it closed it was worth a thousand. I made the the three hundred bucks a foot delta. Like I don't think, and I mean, it, could, it could be wrong, but I don't think in the next twenty four to thirty six months the sixteen hundred dollar presale condo is going to be worth nineteen hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. So then the, then it begs the question: Well, is that is that investor even going to close on the sixteen hundred dollar a foot unit that they bought? Now my gut tells me. In the core, big towers, the investor, they put down 20%. 
they probably have the cash to close. They're okay. But the end buy end user buyer who bought a house in Whitby and the value's gone up and, and the rates have gone, or sorry, the value's gone down, rates have gone up. I, I don't know if they're closing. Yeah. That to me is the, more of the fear than the, than the high-rise yeah. investor product I mean, downtown. I, I, I'm more in the condo, uh, condo space, so I, I, I'm, you know, a little less concerned about the the the, the low-rise market just because the numbers are not, not quite as there. Like we were selling record numbers of condominiums. I mean, if you just, just look back at 2017, there was downtown condos selling for less than a thousand bucks a foot new new buildings and then within you know by by the end of 2018 it's like 1350 right and then oh, okay now it's 1375 and then the pandemic hit and there was a, a reprieve we saw pricing come down a little bit and then all of a sudden you know last year we started to see some more launches downtown at 1400 so yeah okay it's essentially gone up $50 a square foot in in 2 years but then a month later oh i'm at 1450 oh a month later i'm at 1500 oh and a month later i'm 1550 oh now i'm at 1600 different right? world yeah yeah it, no, i know it doesn't make a lot of sense right especially when rents are just now on a per square foot basis in downtown toronto exceeding where they were in 2019 where in 2019, if you if you, you know, your condominium that you purchased in 2015 for 975 bucks a foot, is hardly cash flowing. Yeah. If it's not underwater, yeah. right? So you were underwater at 975. What are you going to be at 1600 bucks a foot? Right. Yeah, you just got to so, put more cash down and take a smaller mortgage. Yeah. So, so that's that's the key, right? So it's just how how liquid are you? How many? How, how much cash can you put put down to make your interest pay or your mortgage payment lower? I mean, that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. I mean, yeah. every every unit's cash flowing if you put enough cash down, right? <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, it's, yeah. But I think the I think the the average, uh, or the the you know I think the markets like guys like yourself. I think you assume twenty five percent down or twenty percent down. Assume twenty percent down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's usually fifteen percent pre occupancy, five percent at occupancy. Most developers are asking that. There's a f a few that are requiring more than that, right? But so Ben, what else? What else are you seeing? No one well, wants to hear us blab for too long, but I mean, I mean there's, there's, a, there's a lot going on out there right now. I'm, you know, I have a, just a, uh, not a lot of knowledge about the, the 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 lending space, so I love actually just listening to you answer <laughs> these questions. And an interesting conversation I had one time when I, I gave a presentation for CIBC is we were talking about these limits that they had on specific clients, and they were like, "Yeah, we've come to our limit on on Tridel that we want to to loan to them, and now we take on a client that's." We'll take on someone else, which is kind of funny because the seventh deal with Tridel is probably better, <laughs> significantly larger than the next deal that's coming in uh, uh, from someone. But you know, they didn't want to over leverage themselves to any one well, you know, developer. You know, it's sort of it's sort of interesting. I don't know what, what do you remember what year that was in? Oh God, that's probably 2014, maybe. Okay. No, earlier than that. This is this is 2012, 2011, okay, so 2012. Like, oh, pa oh, just just after 08. So one of the interesting signs uh, of of a slowing market or a recession, or any just sort of um, change in in lending parameters at the banks is when you hear the word limit. So I have a couple friends, investors, partners, who are you know at the same sort of level as Tridel, and and they were talking to me saying like for the first time in. 10 years, the banks were telling them about limits. They're like, limits? The fuck are you talking about limits? Like, I don't have fucking limits with you. Are you crazy? And they're, and they're saying like, I've never heard that word in my life. You know, I haven't heard that word in 10 years. So what's happening at the banks is that they're saying, okay, like one way for us to slow down, you know, our exposure and to, 
you know, limit our exposure is to set limits with all of our borrowers. Now, limits have been a thing forever, right? Like, I mean, a lot of small, medium-sized developers will only ever be allowed to borrow X amount of dollars from any one institution, right? So the institutions typically um, in, in one facility will lend anywhere from, say, 20 to $40 million. That would be their max exposure. So if an $80 million deal, you have to get two lenders to come in and a syndicate, 40 and 40. And you might do that two or three times. And, you know, again, like I've got a lot of medium-sized builders in Kitchener-Waterloo or London, for example. And, you know, the, the, the banks or the tier two banks will give them maybe three facilities of 40 million, so 120 million bucks. But that's their limit. Like there is definitely a limit for these, like, I'd say sort of like either entry level or tier two or, or mid-sized builders. But the big guys like Tridel, you know, typically the TD Bank and RBC are going to bend over backwards to do whatever they want. So when you hear Tridel a group like that, or, or one of the groups that I sort of was just alluding to having limits, is it's a sign that the banks are tightening up and, and very much, you know, keeping an eye on, on who's getting what and how much of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, I just put out my latest land report that I do with uh, with Batori Management, and and we talked a, a, about how sticky land prices were, but I was surprised at how much of a decline there was in land prices per buildable square foot in the second quarter, right? They actually did see some, you know, declines in in land values, right? And and I mean, I think it's completely related to inclusionary zoning and construction costs, right? Because like I said, revenues were bubble-like territory, right? You know, increasing from fourteen hundred to sixteen hundred in in three or four months in the downtown core, right? And and going from you know nine hundred to twelve hundred in the in the kind of inner suburban market. So just huge growth, but at the same time, you know, um, people aren't betting big on, on on land. And I know we were just discussing a potential deal that we we, we both touched, mm-hmm. and uh, and and how you said, well, if they had, uh, if they had brought me this deal. One year ago, I would have been, you know, doing backflips. But now I'm like, ah. <laughs> you know. Well, here's the thing: the deals are coming. I mean, listen, the, the inclusionary zone zoning thing is a real thing. Interest rates are a real thing. Um, you know, DCs going up are, are a real thing. Um, DCs, and, yes. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I forgot the, that. Like, like, like there's, there's, there's there's a number of factors that have all hit, you know, increased costs are a real thing. Everything, you know, is, is kind of hit the market at once. And when you look at the total cost to, to buy land, redevelop land and build a condo, you 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 need to take in, you know, all these factors into account and, 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 you, and you live and you die by your land price. And I think people sometimes forget that. But at the end of the day, all your profit comes out of the land. So if you buy... Not always, but this is a general rule, though. If you buy the land well and you and you have buffer on the land price, you typically can survive and make money and, and be successful. Generally speaking, when the market's going down and people overpaid for land, those guys go first. Oh, actually, I would say nine times out of ten. So it's, it's very – it's indicative of it, – it's, it's sort of like the lost leader – the, the leading indicator, I guess you could say, of, of how development is the, where the world's going and, and the land price is it's so important. And we're going to see it. Like, I mean, sellers, vendors who, who didn't believe in inclusionary zoning and didn't believe that the, the you know, thought things were going to go up forever and thought that the value of the land wasn't going to be affected by all these factors that were hitting the market at once. 
now probably have lost 25% value in their land. Yeah. And whether, whether they are going to sell for that loss or not, that's their prerogative. Yeah, I mean, I, I but think it's, it's, it's a real it's a real number that has affected their price. Yeah, I, their, think it's their gonna be, I think it's going to be pretty sticky. I don't think I'm going to see the same amount of transactions. I think people are just going to wait, right? You know, wait we're it not out. See, we're not going to see. I don't think we're going to see nearly any transactions the next six months. Yeah, yeah. It will be interesting. interesting. I mean, there's always a few guys that are capital rich and they're willing to take a take a shot at, at sites if they think there's a think there's a good discount but yeah uh, if there's a good discount i yeah. agree but i don't i mean those those opportunities i mean the the vendor needs to be in a in a dire's position to to need to off offload that site for yeah. someone to who's cash rich to pounce on it yeah it's interesting i mean it's funny that you seem to be a little more negative than i, th- I thought you were because because you guys tend to to take a, a a decent amount of risk on new guys like i see your signs and i'm like who's this dude and i gotta i gotta look <laughs> him up on the Terion website to see who these are or or, or whatever it's called these days you know how how worried are you about some of these uh these newer players uh, that you've uh, you've taken a chance on um you know i think i think in the last probably 18 months 24 months uh that that is you know i think i think 5 years ago or 6 years ago we probably took a lot of risk with new new groups in comparison to the risk we take on new groups now in fact there's a couple files in our office for developers who've never developed before that we've decided that we weren't going to proceed with um it hasn't sat well with 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 some of the the clients and i totally understand that and i'm i'm compassionate to the fact that you know we were we would have probably lent them money in in normal times 6 I'd say like a year ago. Yeah. But I mean, with what's going on now, you know, managing a, a 150,000 square foot construction, condo construction for the first time in this totally unpredictable market is not an easy, it's not an easy thing to do in the best of times, let alone in, in these times. And, and the rising, you know, price of real estate has sort of saved a lot of, you know, average builders. Yeah. Um, but it it's it's something we're we're definitely we're very very aware of and and we're cautious of and have taken taken a bit more conservative approach the last year or two and and it's also because we've moved you know we've decided to move up market a little bit and and gone with the more sophisticated builder and you know we've got more access to capital that that is a little bit cheaper than you know maybe the access to capital that we used to have um but listen, we've also we've so also you're had a different po- risk window. You we, think? Yeah, we think we, we've sort of decided to move up market slightly. Like every three years, we've we've moved up maybe half a percent. Like I'm not saying we're we're the TD Bank, um, but we're we're definitely we've made a conscious effort to be more institutional than private. Even yeah. though we're we are a private boutique mortgage lender, we're, we're more we consider ourselves a little bit more as a uh, institutional asset manager and sort of walk, talk, and act that way. But just to answer your question, you know, one of the advantages of having uh, the blended marriage of private and institutional capital in one loan facility is that you can do creative and flexible things to protect the institutional capital by backending it with private capital. So, you know, we've done a lot of, you know, different facilities that credit enhance the loan that give the institution confidence to lend to the new builder because we may, you know, know a partner in the deal or we may know something about it and have some sort of additional guarantee or covenant or uh, collateral security and and do flexible, um, you know, flexible financing solutions 
that allow us to protect ourselves with the new guys. So tell me, tell me a bit about it. Like I'm always a little bit confused how some of these deals come together and you have an A piece, a B piece, a C piece, and a D piece. <laughs> Maybe just <laughs> I know there's 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 I actually got reached out from from guys at, at TMU uh, in the real estate program. They're actually having some of their students listen to our show. So oh, shout so, out TMU. Shout, shout out to uh, Toronto Metropolitan University, uh, Graham Haynes and Graham Haynes, uh, how are you about and some of the uh, some of the folks over there. But yeah, give us, get, you know, maybe run us through what, what that, so what all that means. So basically what, 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 what happens in the, um, so the, the capital stack is basically made up, uh, it can be made up of, of many layers of a, uh, of, of financing. Um, there's typically like a, a first mortgage or a first charge. Then there's sort of like a mezzanine or a second charge. Um, and then, like you said, sometimes a C or a D piece, and then underneath that, usually have your 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 borrowers uh, or builders equity. But what we do, and what you know, where our competitive competitive advantage lies, is that we blend the A being the institutional capital and the B being the private capital together into one to create one joint first facility and lend the money and put a charge on the land as one first mortgage. Hmm. So within the first mortgage, there's different tiers of priority, whereas the institution has the first priority or the first charge, and we as the second piece or the MES piece takes a second charge, but it's all blended into one first mortgage. So the difference is, is there's a couple differences. Um, you, you blend the rates as well. So the so the institutional piece will be at institutional pricing, you know, call it, you know, normal times, say 5%. The B piece will be at 10% and the blended rate is 6.5%. So the borrower likes it because he has one first mortgage from one lender at a relatively honest rate. It's not egregious. It's not like he's paying 10% for the full facility. He's paying slightly higher than he'd pay at the bank, but he's getting slightly more leverage and, and it works for him. But the reason why it works for the lender and for the private investor is because in that first facility, in that first mortgage, you are partnering to an extent with with the, the institution is partnering with the private and, and vice versa. Whereas when you just do a second mortgage, right? You, you know, just say TD does a first mortgage of of ten million dollars, and then they you they come to us and they say, well, do you? Let's, let's say 100 million. Let's say the TD does a first mortgage of 100 million. And then someone comes to me and says, Steve, will you give me a $10 million second mortgage? So you register a second mortgage, you're behind $100 million of TD. You know, just say shit hits the fan and T TD has the first right, right to do whatever they want to recoup their capital. What do you think TD cares about? The, the 110 million or the 100 million? All they, all they care, all they're going to do is make sure they take care of their themselves and get all their interest and fees and capital back. Yeah. And and if we if there's anything left over for the second mortgage, then they can have the scraps. Whereas when when you're all together in one facility with a blended A and B, you you tend to work together to work out the problems to make sure that everybody's taken care of. And it goes both ways, right? It goes, you know, like the 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 group that's subordinated to the A piece in, in the first facility will will take care of um the A and, and and vice versa. The A tends to say, "Hey, we'll, we'll do everything in our, our in our power and uh, to to do what's in the best interest of both our capital and and you know the subordinated capital." And I don't know if that answers your question. You no, know, that's that's interesting. But, but it, let's let's walk one more scenario. One more scenario. Yeah, so we yeah. have we have this small. Say one of your legacy guys, one of these older developers, not very experienced. 
value of the land has gone down. They can't make their their payment. Interest rates are up. What does what 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 do you do then? This guy's so not making his payments. He, he can't make his payments. He so, says, "Steve, so, I'm I, I'm done. I need out of this. I need out so of this property." So there's two. So in Canada, we are very nice. <laughs> We're good people, and we have a very conservative, fair system. Now, you know, in in America, in the United States, they're they're. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not totally up to speed as to all the different ways that you can go about it, but it's a much more cutthroat approach where you can basically try and take over the property and, and you can buy it back and buy it at your cost. In Canada, you have to go through due process and we've got these processes in place. Um, either you can put a receiver in, which basically you you go to the court, you say, the clients uh, in default of the loan terms. Under the default provisions, we have elected to put a receiver in place to basically take over all all matters on their behalf. I see this KSV KSV's advisors. They yeah. seem to be the ones doing yeah, a lot yeah, of the deals. Yeah, we just did a big one with with KSV. Um, we're, we're you know we have a few. Like, listen, it's this is a full contact sport. Lending, lending, mezzanine and private lending is not is not for the faint of heart and. and they're, they're, it's inevitable that you're going to have periods of time when you need to collect money and you're, you're nobody's friend when you need to collect money. So um, the first option is you go with the receiver, you, you put the receiver in place and basically they can they take over and, and act on your and the developer's behalf, on, on behalf of the courts and, and they'll list the property for sale. They'll get three quotes from three different appraisal appraisers and also they'll get the three big guys to come in and say, okay, let us, let us list the property for you. They'll, they'll hire, technically they will hire the appraiser and they will work on behalf of the courts to basically. Who pays for all these appraisals and all this stuff? So, um, it depends on, it depends on like this, on what stage the project's in, how much cash is in trust, how there's, there's a number of, but basically they, they, you know, often they'll pay for it. The, the, the receiver will, will, front some of the costs and then okay. they'll, they'll when, when the whole thing is said and done and it does sell they get first right to recoup their costs um, or the lender us will pay for it depending on the situation so that's one the other one is you could just put this you could go power of sale so if you have a site the guy stopped paying he goes MIA he missed all his interest payments you don't have to, you, if you don't want to put a receiver in you just want to list it for sale you have the right to go to the courts and you could put a, a, a notice of sale in place and there's there's a number of periods you know in which the borrower has time to you know rectify the issue i think the first period is 20 days and then it goes to the courts and then they have another 20 or 30 days and they can either refinance you you can kind of work a deal out with them but at the end of the day if they don't repay you and they don't rectify they don't pay their interest current they don't you know pay back the principal they owe you can list their property for sale so it's it you know and at that time again it gets it gets tied up in the court system and it's not and it's not like you can just go and buy the site for your debt because a lot of people say oh if, you know the site's worth ten dollars and you only have six million six dollars of debt let's just buy it for six and steal it from them for six bucks yeah like yeah everyone wants to a site for six cents on the dollar but like it's not it's sixty cents on the dollar it's not it's not how it works right yeah. you, you must go through a due process you must you know if you get three bids you have to again. Part of the reason why you use the receiver is if you do get three bids and they're three different prices, you might get a high bid, but 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 it might be from a group that 
is unknown. You know, like there might be a foreign group that comes in that no one's ever heard of, and That's they're making a, a, Steve Kaiser a, about, a ridiculous right? quote. And then you're sort of so when you have the receiver, it's sort of like they get to work with you in the courts to make sure that you're picking the right buyer, not the the highest buyer, yeah. because sometimes the highest buyer. You know, you go through this whole 60-day due diligence period and then they just disappear. And then you're like, well, what a waste of 60 days. Yeah. And look at what's happened in the market in the last 60 days. Like, if you got a great deal for $3 million less and it's going to close in 10 minutes versus the one that's going to close in a year, you take the one that's going to close tomorrow yeah. t- 10 times out of 10. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's sort of the process. Again, I'm, I'm sort of simplifying it, but... You know, that's it. I mean, it's 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 interesting stuff. I mean, I think there's 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 people that listen to our podcast and know exactly what you're talking about and and are, are hitting the fast forward. But I think there's a enough people uh, that uh, that want to learn about this stuff. We could talk for a long time. Should I, should I rapid fire Let, you? Yeah, or? let's rapid fire each other. Let's <laughs> do it. Should we go with the questions that I that I asked here? Okay. Yeah, but like you, ha- we have to go in order. So you go first, and I'm not, I haven't even read them yet. Okay, so, okay. So no, no skipping order. No skipping. Okay. So if you were buying a home for yourself today and needed a mortgage, do you go variable or fixed, Steve? Ben, I would go variable. I have had many mortgages in my life and I've never taken a fixed term mortgage. My mortgage broker once told me, he said, Steve, you're young. There's a lot going on. Life changes so much in 12 months, let alone five years. If you take a, you're crazy, you take a five-year fix. Take your variable mortgage. Lots of options for you. You'll be fine. Take some risks, big boy. Nice, nice. Okay. Okay. Outside of your family, if you want to pick someone's brain on real estate related issues, who's the first person you call? Well, I have a few people that I always call. I mean, Jeremiah Shemes from Colliers. I like to call Naram Mansoor from Carlisle, uh, Matt Young from Republic. Uh, so we need we, we, one of those guys we need to get on the show because we have not had no, him. We had Matt. Uh, we had Matt. Yeah, I'm gonna say we had two of those two yeah, of those Ryan, on the show. Jared, and, Jared's and, coming. And so we got to get got to get Jeremiah. Actually, when our guest didn't show up today, I was. Texting with him like that. It's probably <laughs> insulting to ask him to show up in five minutes. So, Jay, yeah, you're so next. those are my those are my those are my go to guys in terms of uh, in terms of asking them stuff. Uh, you know, Mark Fogliato uh, is another guy that I that I call up and ask. And you know, Frank the Bank is 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 another go to as well. Okay, would you support? <laughs> this is this is a little bit more for the other one, but yeah. let's just I'll ask it in a different way. Do you think it's fine that someone uses a laneway housing as an Airbnb? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, I'm pro. I'm pro Airbnb. Um, I pro and I'm pro laneway housing. Okay. I think I think we need more laneway housing, and I think that the Airbnb model, although not perfect, I think it's. I think it's a great way to travel. It's a great way. I stayed in an Airbnb laneway house in Portland when I was driving down the coast of of the U.S. down the one. Wow! And we stayed in these unbelievable Airbnbs in people's backyards, and you meet people, you see the city differently. It's an un- it's it's so it's so cool. So I think it's it. I think it's a great way to uh, promote tourism and to. You're going to, over the rapid fire here. <sighs> Yes. Oh, yeah, my turn. Are real estate commissions for resale agents too high? Yes. Okay, next question. <laughs> I say no. They provide a lot of value, especially in a declining market, right? But even in a, in a hot market, you need to know what's know what's happening. You, don't wanna, you still don't want to overpay, right? So I'm, I'm happy to pay real estate commissions to and, and, and get people's uh, uh, opinions. But, yeah, I mean, obviously there's... 
there's a difference between some real estate agents are not plugged in, right? So, uh, but for so for good real estate agents, ha- would ha- happily pay the commission. I love the next question that it's for me. <laughs> Would you attend a Toronto <laughs> Under Construction live event? What choice do I got, Ben? Yes, you, you would. You would not. You would not. Okay, poll everybody. Go on the comments section and tell us if you would attend a live Toronto Under Construction event. We're thinking about doing a symposium. We'd love to have you uh, sometime this fall or maybe next year at, at our new office. We're going to figure it out, but. It's coming. It's coming. Toronto on construction live. Okay. Should George Karras wear more dark colored dress shirts? <laughs> I think he should. Okay. He wears too many white shirts. Okay. So, so if everyone knows our labs, uh, George Karras, uh, one of the best dressed guys in the business. Very, very, uh, um, you know, starched white shirts. You know, I don't know. I think he wears a different one every time. I think he's got like uh, 10,000 white shirts. So, oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. Oh, if your wife kicked you out of the house, which is uh, which is totally possible, <laughs> would you rent or buy a unit right now? Oh, I think uh, if my wife kicked me out of the house, I'd probably go rent something, yeah. something, something silly. <laughs> go, go get that something. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd be a chocolate factory loft yeah. or something like that. Okay. No, 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 something nicer. True or false? Toronto residential developers have done a good job with at-grade retail. Absolutely not. False. Terrible. (laughs) False. But that's not their fault necessarily either. That's the problem. Okay. Should Canada continue to have the monarchy on our money? Nah. Nah? No. Really? We're Canadians. We have lots of fantastic Canadians deserve to have their face on that money. So who's first? I'd love to have a Terry Fox $20 bill. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that'd be awesome. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'd give you a Gretzky fiver, you know? <laughs> yeah. A Mario Lemieux hundo. <laughs> I just think we're like Keanu Reeves or like... <laughs> oh, Pamela, Pamela Anderson, Pamela Anderson. 10 cents, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's all she gets? <laughs> Come on, man. Let's not, let's not go. Let's not go there. Okay. Um, this is this. I don't know if this was, one quite worked. It definitely... I'll answer. I'll ask this question to, to you because I don't have one. Please confirm or deny this rumor. You have the best beard in the real estate development industry. <laughs> yeah, that's not for me. I got maybe the patchiest beard. That's also turning gray these days. But yeah, the, uh, we're 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 both we're both getting there. So well, man, this has been a slice. Um, you know, it's good to to cut it up with uh, with you. You and I never get to really chat on online. Yeah, no, on I like the record, to. I like the you know me. I. I I love to hear from experts. I love to pick people's brains in this development industry. It's the it's the only way that you can get smarter and 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 I can understand my job better as a market analyst by knowing every single piece of the pie, right? So it's uh so it frustrates me that more people more people This is the segment where Ben tells us what really grinds, grinds his my gears. gears. The it fact really grinds that we, my we gears, just do guys. not and when we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, we just do not have enough strong voices in the development industry that are willing to talk about things that are happening. So we get people who don't know jack squat about the new development industry, like resale agents from Leslieville who <laughs> <laughs> Start talking about the new market, but they don't know what the jack about what they're talking about. So it just frustrates the hell out of me, right? And and uh, and so I'm, I'm I'm hoping that people will listen to this show, and I'm and, and I'm and I'm glad we're going to have a diverse group of guests. If they want to find you, Steve, where are they? Oh yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter at the ones TVC, I don't tweet very often. I try and stay unopinionated because I don't want to go down the rabbit holes that Ben goes down. I see him 
at two in the morning fighting with people with <laughs> yeah definitely with, not two o'clock in the morning they got ninja ninja names and ninja photos I'm, I'm, on their I'm anonymous I'm sleeping at two o'clock in the morning but you can follow at bullpen consult or yeah. you know you, know and, you should or, follow at CS Mortgage Cap. That's our. We we have Instagram, and we're quite active on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. At CS Mortgage Cap, we're we're doing a lot of uh, interesting things in Toronto, but also in Vancouver. We actually made an announcement today. We're moving a ton of resources from Ontario to British Columbia because we really have a a focus this fall to uh, to raise money and originate new business out there. And um, we continually are, are raising money in our various retail funds where we offer 8%, which is for RSP or TFSA uh, accounts or eligible accounts. So, um, you know, we talk a lot about that on our on our platforms, mostly LinkedIn and, and I'd say uh, Instagram at CS. Mortgage cap. Yes, mortgage cap. But I, Check I, would us like, out. I would also like to plug the good folks at rentals.ca. So if you have any rental Rentals. listings, uh, specifically, it'd be great if you're a new purpose built rental developer, put your listings on there. At, uh, and I aggregate the data and, and put out a report. And uh, so, yeah, go on there. Ben, and, I got uh, some good news. What? I got two pieces of good news. Two pieces so of good news. So we started the equity capital business. Yes. And we've got four sites on the go, two major ones. One is a two-tower site at uh, Don Mills and the Don Valley Parkway. Yes. And uh, we submitted our application for a uh, a rezoning for uh, the two-tower project. And we got noticed today that we had a deemed complete application, which means we beat inclusionary zoning. (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, on our other site, uh, on Jarvis Street, application went in, also got noticed today, application complete. Nice. Beat it twice. Do you want to shout out to your planner? I would like to shout out to Adam Sheffer of Originate Developments. The guy is an absolute beast of a of a executor. I've never seen anyone move diligently and quickly uh, as he does. And he's a great partner and a great guy. And he's someone we should get on the show. Actually, he reached out to me to do do some work, uh, uh, but it was it was a little a little kind of outside of my 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 bailiwick. And uh, Actually, I, should, I should throw Daryl Daryl Firstine in there too. Daryl and Adam are our partners, and they're they're an unbelievable tag team. Westdale's are also our partner on both sides. So yeah, no, he um, was he was making some like when when I chatted with him, I I, I love what he had to say. I love gotta the, get him on. We're gonna I get him on. How he said he's rolling every single dime he makes on his first deals back into the business to grow the business. Right, and of I, course. I just love to hear that, right? You know, like he's he's uh, he he wants to build a great city and wants to do great projects, and you know that's just awesome. I just love to hear that, right? Just Absolutely. Makes me, makes no, me he's, he's uh, shout out shout out Sheffer. He's crushing it so far. So, all right, buddies. Hopefully, uh, hopefully next Ed, show. Thanks for sticking with us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's that's a wrap. Take care. Thank thanks you. for listening. Bada boom, bada bing. It's a beautiful thing. See ya.